That's there. I've got my um, special glasses. Should make me look intellectual. There we go. No, they don't. No, all right. <laughs> Thanks very much. I appreciate a bit of banter, that's fine. Right, if, uh, if you've brought a Bible with you, that's uh, an encouraging start because uh, we operate a BYOB policy. Not bring your own booze, bring your own Bible. Um, because we've all got our own. I've got a miniature version here. Um, but before that, I just want to say it feels a bit surreal for me to be here. I don't know if it feels surreal for you. Um, it's kind of the realisation of the beginning of what God's been doing over, I suppose, many years uh, in some of our lives. And it's been a journey up to this point as well. So much has been done and planned and gone forth to get to this point uh, to start Redeemer King here this morning. And as Carl said, the whole point of this is to make Jesus more famous, to see more people in our town meet with him, to see more people transformed by meeting Jesus, being changed by him. I don't know about you, but my testimony is one of, I met Jesus and it completely changed my life. So if that's your testimony too, then surely we want to see more people in our town, in our nation, in our world to hear about Jesus. So I think this is one expression of doing it. We want to see Satan's kingdom push back. It's got a real hold in Chesterfield. There are so many thousands of people that don't know Jesus and we want to see God's kingdom come as we've just sung. So we're Redeemer King. We're here to talk about redemption, talk about kingship, Jesus who wears the crown. He's our King and Lord. And we want to remember that in each moment as we're at home, as we're at school. So for the very first sermon of something brand new, I wanted to do something that was kind of, I suppose, visionary in one sense. Um, I'm not doing acts. That's next week. Um, so if that can disappear and just be, that's great. Because um, we'll be on acts for next week. But I just want to lay out from Luke chapter 24. So if you've got a Bible, if you can just turn to there, it'll come up on the screen, hopefully. Brilliant. I'm just going to read this passage to you from Luke 24 from my miniature scripture which is why I need my glasses. It says this, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That is, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So that's the end of Luke chapter 24. And basically the story that I've just read from comes after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection. Um, in Jerusalem, if you know the story, he's been betrayed, he's been crucified. And then there's lots of rumours going around that this Jesus who was publicly humiliated and publicly killed is alive, that he's walking and talking, that he's met some people. But no one's really clocked on that he's been raised from the dead. I kind of think it's a little bit like if um, Clark Kent 
or Bruce Wayne turned up at your party and you didn't really know who they were. You didn't know that their alter ego was Superman or Batman. That Jesus is there, but they haven't quite clicked that it's him. It's almost as if he's, he's slightly different than he was before. They don't recognize because dead people don't get made alive, do they? Nobody raises from the dead. So it's a bit of an odd one for them. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. So the disciples, I want you to picture it. These disciples that have been with Jesus the whole time are sat in a room together chatting about what's happened in the days before. They're probably chatting about the reports that they've had. Oh, this nutcase, this nutcase woman, she says she's met Jesus. Oh, these two people on the road to Emmaus, they said they met the Lord. What's that about? They're obviously off their rocker. You can just kind of picture them saying, oh, this is silly. And then we read that Jesus himself stands among them. It's a little bit like, I think, if you were at a funeral of someone and the guy who's conducting it at the front says, so-and-so was so lovely, had such a wonderful life, and then in they walk. Oh, yeah, sorry to dis disrupt things, but I'm actually alive. That's what it would have been like for them. They're, they're chatting about how he's died and he's no longer with them, and then in he walks. Jesus is therefore unique, isn't he? He's unlike you. He's unlike me because I haven't raised from the dead. This isn't my second life. I didn't used to be a field mouse. Or I probably, well, I don't know if I've done well. I probably was some sort of superhuman and I led a bad life and then I'm me now. You know, we're not into reincarnation. That's not a real thing. But Jesus needs to put them at ease because it's like they're being visited, if you can imagine, like a, by a dead man. Someone that they've not seen in that way before. He's been raised to life. And it's not just on a temporary basis. If I was to pass away today and then was raised to life, it would still be temporary. I'm going to die again one day. I'm going to get old. I've already got grey in my beard. I'm going to get more grey. We're all going to die one day. But Jesus, we read at the very end, just after this passage that we've read, ascends to be with the Father. So as a man goes to be with the Father in heaven. So he's still alive today. He's still reigning today. Jesus is as much alive today as he was in the passage that we just had read to us. Some Christian, in inverted commas, because they're not really Christians in the cults, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, maintain that Jesus didn't rise bodily from the dead, but it was just a spiritual thing. We believe here that he rose bodily from the dead. They had a living, breathing. He talked, he walked. We read all this here. They, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet. Touch me and see, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus not only talked. I mean, the disciples clearly thought he was a bit of a ghost. They didn't get it was him. But you know, when you are getting to know someone or you're describing someone, you maybe describe them by their distinctive features. Right? Are you with me here? So some people have distinctive features, don't they? My daughter, when she was born, had a strawberry mark on her arm up here, which is now faded, and she keeps pointing to it, going, strawberry mark. Um, some people have hairy moles. You know what I'm talking about? The big ones. Some people have those, and you can't stop looking at them. And I feel really bad. I had a friend, and I used to call him Moly. That's how nice I am. But it's a unique feature. I remember him because he had a mole. It's a distinctive feature. So what does Jesus do? He goes, okay, I've got some distinctive features for you. Let me show you my hands and my feet. 
Let me show you who I am. I'm the one who was crucified. Look, look at the holes. Look at the marks. These are the marks that bear what I did for you. This is not just somebody else. This is the same Jesus that died three days before. So he shows them his marks, his distinctive features. It's good to have a distinctive feature. Our friend Carl um, is a bit of a bland fella. Nothing distinctive about him or special is the Karen. Until he's just grown a designer beard. So now he's got a distinctive feature. So you can remember Carl because he looks like a mafia hitman. I won't go there again. But just to absolutely prove that Jesus was alive, look at verse 41 with me as well. And while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. You know he's alive because he's a man and he's hungry. He wants his food. He's been dead for three days. He's going to be hungry, right? I'm hungry after like, you know, six hours sleep. This guy's been dead for three days. He's a hungry man. And we know it's Jesus as well because he's the most humble man ever to walk the earth. He's been dead for three days and he's been raised to new life. And he accepts a piece of grilled fish as his food. He's hungry. He's not going to want grilled fish. He's going to, if it was me, I'd be like, I'll have my fillet steak, please. Medium well. Right? You want something good, but I'm not as humble as Jesus. Jesus just takes the fish. He was hungry. He ate. Ghost spirits don't eat food. Jesus was definitely alive. He goes on to appear from this point on to crowds and crowds and crowds of people over 40 days before his ascension. It's exciting, isn't it? You don't look particularly excited. I'll try that again. It's exciting, isn't it? That Jesus is alive. He's not dead. You see, if Jesus is dead, your faith is dead. If Jesus is dead, what's the point in us being here? What's the hope we have? We don't have any. But because Jesus is alive, we have more hope than anybody else in this world. We have the only hope. The hope of new life, the hope of a future for people. You see, sin in the Bible, which is described as rebellion against God, we're told elsewhere, results in death. So what happens? Jesus rising from the dead means, well, death is defeated. For those that trust in Jesus, death no longer holds its sting. Death doesn't have the last laugh anymore. Sin's gone, it's defeated. We inherit everlasting life. That's good news, right? We don't have to experience hell Because Jesus has brought us heaven. That's good news, right? I just want to kind of say, actually, I'm going to to move this mic. I'm going to go for a wander because I feel a bit static. How do you do this, guys? As you can tell, DIY is not my forte. I'm wrapped up. Look at that. I just thought if I go for a wander, you won't get used to me stood there. But the whole point of us being here, I've I've wandered about an inch, haven't I? I've not gone very far. I won't get much further. I could wander in this direction. But the whole point of us gathering here today is, not just today, but in the future, is because Jesus is alive. That's the hope that we have and the hope for Chesterfield. Now, I I don't know why you've come this morning. It's great that you have. I'm delighted that you have. But we're not here because we like Gaz's beard or Carl's mafia beard or because we're in a new place and it's something new. We're here for Jesus. We're here to make Jesus known in Chesterfield, in Newbold, in Chesterfield and beyond That's the mission of this church, to see people's hearts and lives change. As I said before, when I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are here today. 
and it kind of clicked at 15, 16, and it's just transformed my world. It's turned my whole life upside down, that I've gone from darkness into light, and there's so many people in this town who don't have that. And that's what church is for. Church isn't a club. Church isn't just come along and, you know, we'll eat nice biscuits. It's a mission. It's we're doing something. And that's what we're kind of called to be a part of. If you want to be a part of Redeemer, it's a call to action. Just as much as it is as fun and fellowship and good banter. It's a call to action to see Jesus made king over our town. I believe that we can see hundreds, if not thousands of people in our town, one for Jesus. But not because of necessarily our skills and abilities, but because that's God's heart for this town. God's heart is for people to come into a relationship with him. I don't know if you've got friends, if you've got family members that don't know Jesus. I want you to feel as desperate for them as you do for the town of Chesterfield. Desperate that they'd know Jesus. And that means the point of us gathering together is we gather together to have a a good time together, but also to be equipped to do that. To sit under God's word so that we know God's word, so it changes our hearts. Being here on a Sunday isn't just an intellectual exercise. I don't want your head filled with knowledge without it being applied. We come and we sit under God's word. We know God's word so we know God better, so we can share God better. We're not to keep it for ourselves. We have the greatest gift given to us. How selfish would it be if we keep it to ourselves? So we want to equip you. We want to build you. We want to have good fun in order to see Chesterfield one for Jesus. Newbold, Chesterfield, wherever you're from, whatever estate you're on. We want to be kind of beacons of hope, beacons of life in those different areas. So that's the challenge. I want you to be a part of it. And it's all because Jesus is alive. That's the only reason we can do it. That's... Otherwise, we're all just, as I said, we're here for a bit of, a, a bit of fun. I'll come back here now because I'm getting a bit intimidated. I'm getting a bit too close to some scary-looking people. But it's not about our preferences, not about whether we sing this song or that song. It's about Jesus. And as long as it stays about Jesus, we'll be going in the right direction. All right? Let's just have a look at something else. God's Word, which is what we stand on and what we're for. Back to Luke. I don't know if this is working. I think it is. Jesus carries on talking after eating his fish. Verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. The risen Jesus wants to show that his rising from the dead isn't an accident. That it was foretold. It was prophesied in the scriptures. Now, here you can see, uh, at the bottom here, it talks about... Everything written about me in the law of Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, written by Moses. The prophets, which is people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, in Jesus' day, the Psalms represented all the historical writings. It's not just that book in the middle of your Bible. So, in effect, Jesus is saying everything that is in the Old Testament scriptures, so the scripture of Jesus' day, is about him. That's what he says. And that's why it's life-breathing. That's why the Bible isn't boring, because it's about Jesus. The Bible's boring if it's about you or me. But if it's about Jesus, it's exciting. He says, everything from Genesis through to Malachi is about me. His death, his resurrection in particular. Verse 46. Thus it is written, he says, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. You see, the Bible isn't an irrelevant, old, dusty book that has no relevance for our life today. In fact, it's the most relevant thing ever because it's about Jesus. 
And not just that, what Jesus has done for you. Now, if you find the Bible boring, if you struggle to read your Bible, I want to help you this morning by saying the key to unlocking the Bible, the key to unlocking its worth is to understand that the whole thing is geared around Jesus' death and resurrection. Once we understand that that's what it's pointing to, the Old Testament, and that's what the New Testament is about, we'll realize there's new life there. We'll realize there's something going on. So how is it unlocked? How does it go from dry words on a page? Verse 45 says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, it's not some kind of freaky mind job, like, you know, mind trick by someone with one of those, you know, balls. Don't do that, by the way. Those weird people, they're nutters. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, good. Don't be bothered with that, but Jesus opens their mind with the scriptures. You see, it's not an ordinary book, the Bible. It's not like any other book. It's the very words of God. That's what we believe, that this is holy and accurately God's word. And we need God's spirit in order to bring it to life for us. And when we understand that Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection is kind of central to the whole thing, we'll start to see life. You see, if, if Bible teaching is just like nice little antidotes, if Bible teaching is just some stories and it's no relevance to the actual words of God themselves, then again, it's just a waste of time, isn't it? You don't want my opinion. You want what God has to say, right? We want... God to change lives. We're not the ones that are going to change lives. God's going to do it by his word and through his spirit. And so we're committed here at this church, I want you to know this, committed to teaching God's word. Because it's God's word that changes our lives, God's word that changes our attitudes, God's word that changes everything about us. So I want you to read it, I want you to love it, I want you to speak it. Because it's about a new life. The Bible is one story from start to finish about how God redeems a people, how he saves a people for himself, how he takes your burdens, takes your sin upon himself and dies upon a cross and is raised to new life in order to save you. That's what it's all about. Even the boring bits in Leviticus, you'd be amazed. They are boring, aren't they? But Leviticus, for example, through the lens of Jesus' death and resurrection, I'm telling you now, it becomes exciting. Maybe in like, Many years' time, we'll do Leviticus, and I'll prove it to you. But the good news is that this new life that Jesus gives us doesn't start in the future, but starts right now, starts today, or started in the past for you when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. And God himself has sent himself, hasn't he, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts to indwell us to make that reality of new life obvious to us. So that's the final thing I just want to look at from verse 49. Jesus says this, what we want to do, basically. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. The promise is God, the Holy Spirit, which we know, as we'll get to Acts in subsequent weeks, falls upon the disciples at Pentecost in an amazing way. But we see here primarily that the Holy Spirit is sent, sent in, sent, for life for the believers. Verse 47, Jesus commissions the disciples to do his mission. He says, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name among all the nations. You see, the Holy Spirit has been sent to us to make much of Jesus. That in our lives, we'd be pointing towards Jesus. That we'd be equipped to share his worth to all the nations. We don't have a small vision here, but to all the nations. 
It's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, that every tongue will confess that he's Lord. So we need his help, don't we, in doing his mission. If it's Jesus' name that people are going to fall under, we need his help. And this is why we exist. Sure, we have loads of visions. We have loads of values. Whether it's that we're a worshipful people, whether it's that we're a fun people, we're a community. But I tell you this, bigger than all those things is the mission of God. Bigger than all those things is seeing lives changed by the power of the gospel. Don't you long for that? To see more and more people won for Jesus? Because that's what we're invited onto, to share his worth, to tell the world that Jesus lives, to tell the world that repentance is the path, as Jesus says here, to know that we're sinful, to come before Jesus and say, look, I've got it wrong. I need your help. I'm sorry. And he gives us his forgiveness because that's what he came for. And that's the message for Chesterfield, that there's fresh start for the people of our town. That if they don't know Jesus, that they can have a new life. Now, if you're here this morning, I don't know. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your saviour. I'm just going to ask you, what are you waiting for? There's a new life on offer, and it can be today. Why wait? Why wait till you're, you know, 80, let's say? Just pick, to, just pick don't, don't hate me. I just, just picked a random number. Why wait till you're 18? New life is on offer today for the people of Chesterfield and for you particularly if you haven't given your life to Jesus. And I tell you, my experience, I'm sure lots of people's experiences, that he transforms us. Jesus continues on though. He says that it would be proclaimed in his name among all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So the message we're taking is that of people need to repent and they can be forgiven. But it's for all nations. Now it started in Jerusalem. Now historically... What's Jerusalem? It's the place where Jesus died, and it's the place where Jesus was raised. You see, if Jesus is, as I said before, if Jesus is dead, we have no hope. But because he's alive, that's where the mission started for the disciples. It also so happens to be where they were. It's in their vicinity. And that just got me thinking, okay, well, where does our mission start? Well, I think it starts right here. I think it starts on that street just there. And then it goes out from here to all the nations. You see, the message of repentance and forgiveness is for rich and poor. It's for all peoples. You know, I heard last night that uh, in Chesterfield, the ethnic diversity has gone up to 5%. Now, apparently for Chesterfield, that's huge. And I think, wow, great, that's amazing. I want that to be ramped up even further. But I want people groups to meet Jesus. Now, in our town, there will be lots of different kind of, you know, there might be a Chinese community. There might be other communities. Those communities need to know about Jesus just as much as the people that are like you and the people that are like me. We're not to just be comfortable, but we're to reach all nations with the good news of Jesus. And it's great when all the nations come to your doorstep, isn't it? I mean, it's cool to travel, but it's great when they come to you as well. But our proclamation starts here today. That's why, as a part of our vision, we're not limited to just one congregation. We have a vision to plant churches. Because people have asked me this question, does Chesterfield really need another church? And my answer is, Chesterfield needs lots more churches. Because Chesterfield has got thousands and thousands of people that don't know Jesus. And the church is the vehicle to spread the good news. You are the vehicle. You are the instruments to spread the good news of Jesus. So doesn't Chesterfield need more churches? So we want to plant more churches, not just in Chesterfield, but in different parts of the UK. And who knows what God's going to do? We've kind of got an open vision to just see what the Lord wants to do amongst us. But we need more churches. 
And so this is starting with that. You know, St. Francis of Assisi, I think, has unfortunately been credited with a famous statement. I don't know if it was him, but it was famous words that said, preach the gospel and where necessary, use words. Now, I'm not a saint or a Francis or an Assisi, but I think he's wrong. Because we're to preach the gospel with our lives, but with words as well. People are to see the hope that you have in Jesus in your heart, and then say, oh, you know what? You know why I've got this hope? It's because I've got new life. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's what we have to do. That's our mission. We're to preach the gospel using both words and deed. Now, that doesn't mean shouting at people at Chesterfield Market. I'm not one for that. I want you to be relating to people, drawing alongside people, telling people about Jesus. Because we want to see people meet God and be changed. And God the Holy Spirit does that. This is what it says. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay until the city, until you are clothed with power on high. They weren't to do the mission of God until they were clothed with the power from on high. We cannot do this mission without God the Holy Spirit, without acknowledging the work of the Spirit, without embracing the work of the Spirit. We're completely helpless without God. We need his Spirit in our lives. And in order to be effective in their witness, the disciples needed to wait on God. They needed to be filled with God's Spirit in order to go out and to share the good news. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just a theory. Not just something disconnected. But it's the third person, not a thing, person of the Trinity. And he comes into our hearts. And we can experience God's presence. And we need it to enable us to do mission. Because you'll go, I can't do this. Or on Monday morning you go, oh, hate work. How am I supposed to witness to that person? Oh, it's so boring at home. We need God's spirit to energize us, to revitalize us, to keep us going. We love at this church God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This whole church vision, everything that's come together is because of what God has done. How he saved us. But also, it's a vision for how he can save others. The work that he's going to do in our town and in our nation. And it can be through you, the people of God. So the question is, are you going to be a part of it? That's what we come for. Are we going to be a part of the mission of God or not? To conclude, it says this in verse 53. And this is what we're going to do together in a minute. But I'm going to invite Carl back up and I think the musicians are coming up as well. And it says this in verse 53. I know it wasn't on the screen. It says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were consistently in the temple blessing God. Okay, we've not got this temple to go to. But they're worshipping. Their response is to worship him, to wait on him with great joy. So that's what I want us to do. That's why we said at the beginning, often our times of worship come after we've had the word of God preached because it's a response. You see the disciples here, Jesus says, do this, and they're like, oh, I just want to worship. I just want to praise God. And they're consistently doing it with great joy. And they're waiting on him for his empowering presence so that they can tell the world about Jesus. Let me pray, and then as I do, Mafia Man's going to come up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, that you sent Jesus for us, that Jesus is alive today, that he reigns on high, that we worship the living God, as Gaz said, the maker of heavens and earth. And we just want to bless you. We thank you that uh, we can have joy and we pray you'd restore to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, help us to be a worshipful people. 
a people that love your name, a people that love your word, but a people that do your work. And God, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit would just come, that you just open our hearts, that as we wait on you, that we're empowered by you to do your work for the sake of Jesus' name in our town and in our nation. Amen.